Good morning to my friends at the porch there in Centennial, Colorado. My name is Billy Wilson, and I am the district superintendent of the Mountain Plains District of the Wesley Church. Uh, and the porch is one of the churches in that district. Um, I've been working with Will for about three and a half years now, and I've become very close to him during that time. I've grown to really love him and appreciate his heart for the church. And I know that you'll miss him, and I will miss him too, because I loved him being part of this district. Now, whenever a pastor resigns in the Wesleyan Church, it's, uh, um, it's a very emotional season for any church um, as we begin a, a season of transition. And there's nothing really that easy about it. Um, but it forces us in that season to take a look at um, how we depend on God and trust Him for what's next. Um, we remember during those times that this is his church, that he's in charge, and he cares for it very deeply. He cares for it even more deeply than you and I do. So I want to take just a few minutes and fill you in on what happens in Wesley churches as they discern what's next, as they look for a pastor. Um, I work very closely with your LBA, your local board administrators, uh, to find a few of the best candidates that might be feeling called to the porch. And um, for this particular church at this particular time, I actually anticipate uh, a long line of people who are very eager to talk to me about the porch. Um, you have a great location, you have a great facility, uh, solid local leadership, and I believe a very, very bright future. So whereas we won't really rush in, uh, to this very important process. We aren't necessarily going to go uh, real slowly uh, either. Uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to narrow down a list of candidates, we're going to interview them, and then probably invite uh, one or two to come to the church in person, uh, possibly preach a message, um, answer some questions, meet a few people, see how that goes. And if we are in agreement that God is moving in this direction uh, for that particular leader, uh, we'll recommend that that candidate uh, be presented to the membership of the porch to collectively vote to discern whether God is calling that person uh, to the porch to lead this church. Uh, if the answer to that is yes, and we vote in that direction, we'll extend an offer to that candidate. And if not, then we'll continue to look. Uh, so that's a, a summary of the process that we'll uh, embark over this next season uh, of transition. Uh, but I have a very um, high degree of confidence in the local leadership at the porch. I trust them, and I think you should trust them too. Mostly, though, I think we can all trust Jesus because he's the one that said that he would build his church. And he continues to do that all over the world, including right there in Centennial, Colorado. God bless you. Look forward to working through this next season with you um, and discerning what God has next for the porch. Good morning. Okay, that was all right. I need to know that you're out there. Uh, so let's just try it one more time, right? I want to make sure you're awake and paying attention. I know we're probably all still on our trip to fan kick, so you may very well be taking a nap. Good morning. Hey, that was great. It was good. Hey, my name is Aaron. Um, I, some of you may know me. Uh, most of you probably don't. Um, I'm a friend of Will's. I'm a friend of The Porch. Uh, I pastor Front Range Church over in the Roxboro Sterling Ranch area. So it's about 45 minutes from here. And uh, I just, 
I'm honored and privileged to be hanging out with y'all this morning, uh, to be able to step into this time and just be with you. I really honestly count it as a privilege to be on this stage, that uh, your leadership uh, apparently put enough trust in me, or Billy put enough trust in me, or somebody did to, to stand up here. I don't know who. I don't know who it was. I don't know how I got here, but somehow I'm here this morning, and I'm grateful to be here. Um, Do y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? So just to help me out a little bit, we're, we're going to actually, so we're starting a new series. It's an Advent series. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're going to kind of kick off the Advent series by talking about hope. But before we get into that, just kind of help me out. So I know who you are. You know a little bit about me. I know, what, I know who my peeps are, and I know who I need to look out for here. Uh, let me ask a question about Thanksgiving. So I know turkey is kind of the centerpiece, right? That's, that's the thing that we all sort of look forward to, but I'm a pie guy. So for me, it's about the pie. So let's find out who's on the right side of the pie issue here real quick. How many of you would say that like apple pie is the Thanksgiving pie and it's your favorite? I'd appreciate, yeah, if you raise your hand. Okay. So when you eat your apple pie, that's a good, do you, do you put ice cream on it? Is that a thing or just leave it plain? You know, yeah. Or do you have two pieces, one plain, one with ice cream? Like, we can figure this out. We can figure this out, right? So apple pie. How many of you would say, uh, I'm good with apple pie. How many of you would say pecan pie is like the Thanksgiving pie? So you're the people I don't understand. Honestly, the best way to enjoy a pecan pie is to put it in the garbage. Let's just, let's just start there, okay? So see? All right, so there's some more of my peeps right there. I don't understand that. How about pumpkin pie? I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, that's the majority. I like that's the Thanksgiving pie. That's kind of the go-to pie. But the real question, okay, this is the big question. This is the most important question is, is it pumpkin pie with whipped cream or without whipped cream? Yeah, no, it's got to be with whipped cream. And maybe even the more important question is, um, is it a dab of whipped cream, or do you put so much on you can't tell there's any pie on the plates? That's, that's where you're at, right? If you were being honest, you'd probably, like, just plate up some whipped cream, right? But we feel like if we put a piece of pie on it, like, that makes us look not so crazy because we're not just eating a plate of, uh, of, of whipped cream. I'm going to put this over here. So we are, so thanks for that. Um, I... You know, I love Thanksgiving because it's, it's a holiday that doesn't really get too overly commercialized, but this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we are moving into the Christmas season. And like I said this morning, we're starting this Advent series, and I think you all have some really cool stuff planned over the next several weeks, throughout the weeks, every day, to stay in the spirit of Advent. But I'm going to light this first Advent candle, and this is the candle of the Advent candle of hope, and that's what we're going to talk about um, just, just for a few minutes this morning. As much as I love Thanksgiving, um, I love Christmas too. So let me ask a couple of more questions just as we're getting to know each other this morning. How many of you, when you were a kid, um, you, you had parents who they would wrap their presents and then they would hide them? And maybe they hid them all over the house or they hid them in one location. Anybody have parents? Like they hid the presents. Now I had a mom who would hide presents all over the place. She would hide some in the basement, uh, some in the family room, some in her bedroom, and she was so forgetful that she would hide them all over in so many different places that she wouldn't be able to find them all, and the next Christmas, she would find them while she was hiding that current year's Christmas presents. Um, But how many of you, if you were being honest, would say you searched for the hidden presents? Yeah. How many of you found them? 
Mm. Now the real question. If they were wrapped, because my mom would wrap them and hide them. The real question. This is going to tell me about your character, so you're going to be honest. How many of you were brave enough to peel back the tape? He's already got his hand raised. I didn't even ask the question. To peel back the tape and slowly unwrap just the end of the present so you could see what it is. How many people did that? Yeah. See, I did that too, but the problem with that is when you try to retape it, if you don't get that piece of tape, because it takes off some of the paper, if you don't get the piece of tape right back where it goes, your mom can tell you unwrapped it, right? But I love Christmas because what, and especially like the three weeks leading up to Christmas, there's so much anticipation. There's so much excitement that builds, like those two or three weeks before Christmas. There's just this anticipation. There's just this excitement. Another way to say it is hope is building inside of us, isn't it, right? You're hopeful that your parents will listen to what you put on your Christmas list. Don't let me down, mom, right? You're hopeful that grandma will get you that one big gift that you ask for every Every year for grandma, because you know she can pull that off. Maybe not mom or dad, but grandma can give me that one big special gift. So you're hopeful that grandma can do that. You're hopeful Santa Claus doesn't actually check his list twice, because that's not good for you if he does. There's just this season, and it's not just as a kid. There's something about the Christmas season in general that builds hope inside of us. There's something about the Christmas season in general that is just Uh, It builds excitement, it builds hope, it builds anticipation. And I think the Christmas story and the Christmas season, which Advent season is the Christmas story. It's Advent because it's the arrival, it's Jesus, it's God showing up on earth. And there's just something about the Christmas story that reminds us how important hope is to life. How much we need hope in our souls, how much we need to live with a sense of hope and expectancy. And there's something about the Christmas story in this season that reminds us of that. In fact, just so we, just so we have kind of a working definition of the word hope, because we're going to spend a few minutes talking about that, I think we'll put this up on the screen for you. Um, hope, according to Webster's, is that feeling, or the feeling that what is wanted can be had, or that events will turn out for the best. It's believing in the best. It's hoping for the best and believing that it's possible. Or even more simple is hope is a belief, it's a desire, or it's a trust. And I love that word. It's that we trust in something. It's that we trust in someone, and that's what, what hope is. In, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to the church in, in Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this chapter before. This is known as the love chapter in the Bible. Love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. But at the very end of that uh, chapter, where Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he, uh, he sort of sums up all of this idea about love. And he says, listen, there's a lot of stuff in life that really doesn't matter all that much. And there's a whole bunch of stuff, stuff in life that's going to fade away. And there's a lot of things that we put importance in in life that really are not that important. But when you boil it all away and when you get down to the end of it, there are a couple of things that always matter. There are a couple of things that will always be important. And he says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, these three things will always remain, he says. Faith Hope and love. The greatest of these is love, he says, which I would agree with. 
But the big three, according to the Apostle Paul, three things that keep our soul alive, three things that keep our spirit alive, one of those things is hope. And what he's saying is that hope is powerful. And it's one thing for us to, you know, look up the, the, the definition of hope uh, in, in, the, in the dictionary. And sort of that, that's helpful for us. But it's hard to put flesh on hope. Like, what does that mean in real life? What does that look like in real life? Hope is to believe and hope is to trust. But what does hope look like in real life? Hope is what pushes us through a rocky marriage, trusting that it will get better. Hope helps us take a step forward in that. Hope is what gets us through our chemotherapies and doctor appointment after doctor appointment after a doctor appointment. Hope is what gives us the ability to keep looking for the next job while collecting unemployment week after week after week. Hope is what gets us through deep, dark nights of depression when all you can do is sit alone in your home or in your room and cry. Hope is what gets you through to the next day. Hope is what allows us to believe that we will get through this pandemic and we will be better for it on the other side. Hope gets us through that. And you know what else? Hope tells us that God loves this church, the porch. Can I just talk to all y'all from the porch for a second? Hope tells us that God loves this church so much that he will find the next leader for you because it's his church. It ain't yours. It's not mine. It's his church. In fact, the irony, it's not ironic at all, I don't think, that I'm standing up here this morning, to be quite honest with y'all. A year ago, uh, Front Range Church, the church that I pastor, a year ago, or just over a year ago, our church went through a very, very similar experience that y'all are going through right now. The senior pastor there uh, resigned, and it was pretty unexpected. I don't think anybody saw it coming. I think it came out of the blue for everybody that was a part of the church, and it was quick, too. So he ended up resigning, and just a few weeks later, I mean, I think three or four weeks later, he ended up moving, um, actually, to Alaska, and Front Range Church was without a pastor. But you know what? There were a group of people, there was a group of people that stayed and hoped, they had hoped and believed and trusted that God would provide whoever was next. And some of those people are sitting here today. They showed up today. The people from Front Range Church who are part of my team, they showed up to today so you could actually see what hope looks like as well in person. They believed and they hoped. And a year later, I'm standing on the stage talking to you now because God called my wife and I from Michigan. We didn't even know Front Range Church existed. I've never even, I had never at the time even heard the name Front Range Church. And I got a call from Billy Wilson, who you just saw, while I was in Michigan. He said, hey, there's a church in uh, Roxborough, a little community just outside of Littleton. And their pastor's resigning, and he's, he's moving off. Do you even want to come out here and consider this? And my wife and I flew out here for a few days. We met some of the people. We fell in love with the people. We fell in love with the place. And we sold everything we had, and we moved out here to Colorado to really reimagine the church out there in, in the Roxborough area. Y'all, God loves your church more than you do because it's his. This is, you are the bride of Christ and he is not going to leave you alone. That's what hope says. 
Hope gives you the ability to push forward through all of that. But the truth is, if we're being honest here, there's also a dark side to hope. And maybe that's, maybe that's too strong of a phrase. Maybe it's not such a dark side. There's a downside or there's an unfortunate side to hope. And any of you who have ever put hope in something or in someone and they haven't followed through or they dropped the ball, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? It's when you put your hope in your husband or your wife after walking out of the marriage counselor's office and they say, listen, I know that I have screwed up and I know that I've got some bad habits and I know that I'm being hurtful to you in our relationship but I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. I'm going to make efforts to really invest in our marriage and, and you build up hope and then they don't. And then they don't. And what happens is your, your, your hope turns into anger, right? It's, it's when you put all of your hope in your company that at the end of the year, you're going to get that big bonus that you get every year in December, and you depend on it. And this year, you're hoping not only for the bonus, but you're hoping that the bonus is even bigger than last year, because over this past year, you got yourself into a financial crisis, and you need that bonus to get you out. But then you find out that your company is in financial crisis, and all of a sudden, your hope turns into anxiety. There's a downside to hope. It's, it's when you walk into your doctor's appointment for the follow-up appointment after the diagnosis, and the diagnosis wasn't that great, but you're putting an awful lot of hope in the next visit because you believe he's going to tell you there's good news, we're going to get through this, there's a plan, and then you find out it's worse than worse, and your hope turns into fear. There's a downside or a dark side to hope as well. But all of this, the good, the power of hope, sort of the downside of hope, all of it illustrates how absolutely important and central it is for us that we live with a sense of hope in our life. It can literally give life, give us strength, push us forward, help us take one step at a time into unknown seasons or uncomfortable places in life, but it can also debilitate us and take the life right out of us. That's how important hope is. But something tells me you already knew that. I don't think, I've been in ministry for 20 years now. I've been preaching for 20 years. And I think, um, I tell people a lot, <laughs> I don't really think I ever stand up in front of people and tell them anything they don't already know. I don't think I'm going to share anything earth-shattering this morning. I don't think you're going to walk away going, oh, I've never thought of that before. I think most of my job is actually just to remind people of what they already know. And something tells me you already knew that hope was that important. Something tells me you already understood that to live without hope is not a healthy place to be. So, this morning what I want to do, just for a couple of more minutes here, is I want to, I want to just talk about one aspect of hope that I think a lot of us overlook. But it is foundational to the entire idea of hope. And to do that, I want to take you to an Advent story. I want to take you to Luke chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, it's Luke chapter 1. I know we're going to put it up on the screen for you. Or if you've got the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, whatever works for you. But Luke chapter 1, this is the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who are the parents of John the Baptist. Right? And they're about to find out some news that they've been waiting for, that they've been hoping for their entire lives. But in this story, there's a principle 
as it relates to hope that I think we forget and I just came to remind you of this morning. That's all. So Luke chapter 1, we're going to jump right in here, starting at verse 5. So it says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, or however you say that guy's name. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now this is actually very, very important for us. Because what Luke is telling us here is that both Elizabeth and Zechariah come from priestly families. Elizabeth comes from a long family, or she's, her heritage is a family of priests. Zechariah comes from a line of priests. So great-great-grandfather to grandfather to father, down to Zechariah. And the reason that is so important for us this morning is because being a part of a priestly division meant you dedicated your entire lives to the service of God. That's it. Every waking moment of your life was dedicated in some way to the service of God. And as a priest, which is what Zechariah is, one of his job responsibilities was to help maintain the temple, which was the center of Jewish religion and faith back then. And so it was maintaining the temple, uh, performing sacrifices when it was time for sacrifices, overseeing festivals when it was time for festivals. Every part of your life was consumed with dedication to God. So both of them come from this line of priests. And in verse 6, listen to what the author says next. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's a pretty big statement about human beings, (laughs) if you think about it. You ask my wife, she'll tell you, I'm close to perfect, but not perfect. Okay. She's got her mask on. I can't see her smile. (laughs) What the author is saying is, no, 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 no. You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're not perfect, but you'd be hard-pressed to find two people who are closer to perfect than these two. They live such righteous, holy-filled lives. In fact, the author goes so far far as to say, as God sees them in the sight of God, when God looks down at them, what he sees sees is two people who are holy, blameless, and righteous. They did everything right. Their life was defined by just do the next right thing, just do the next right thing, just do the next right thing, over and over and over again to the point where they were seen even by their neighbors as blameless people. In other words, nobody could point a finger at them and say, ah, they did this, or they have that issue, or he's got that habit. But the next line, verse 7, is where the tension in this story begins to pick up. Because the author says, so that's the kind of people they are, but then in verse 7 it says, but they were childless. Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive And they were both very old. Two things. One, when I read that though, one of the thoughts I have is that even though they were childless, which was a big deal, I'll talk about that in just a second, they continued to hold on to hope that someday they would have a child. Because every parent in the Jewish culture 
desired and longed for a child. In fact, this is such a big deal because think about it from Zachariah's perspective. If Zachariah doesn't have a son, especially a son, not just a child but a son, then his lineage, his name ends with him. That's why it is so important to have a child, to have a son that you can pass your name onto, that you can pass your heritage onto, and that the lineage of your family continues to move through. But Zechariah doesn't have that, which means it's over with him. And when you read through the Bible, this is a big deal. Old Testament, New Testament, when you read through uh, even just stories of people, they'll say, Joseph is the son of, or the father of. Everything, everything was connected to the family that you belonged to. But if you were a woman in this culture and you didn't have a child, and please don't misunderstand the next statement. This, this is it's just the culture. This was just the culture that they lived in. If you were a woman without a child, you had no value as a woman in that culture. Because culturally speaking, women, they had no, you had no voice. You couldn't be involved in any kind of political stuff. Most didn't really work. The only value that was seen in a woman was whether or not she could have a child. And that was it. So imagine being Zechariah and Elizabeth. The line ends with you. And you cannot, as a woman, do the one thing that, culturally speaking, gives you any worth. In fact, when, when Elizabeth would go out into the public square, it's quite likely that people would look at her and whisper. That they would mumble underneath their breath. And there were some people who believed if you couldn't have a child, it was because you were a sinner. Yet they're righteous. They're blameless. And the question that I ask myself in all of this is, wouldn't you just give up hope at some point? And wouldn't you just give up hope and walk away from God? They're well into, they're probably 80s in this story, if not even older. Wouldn't you give up hope and just walk away from God and say, listen, we have been praying and praying and praying, we've been asking and asking and asking, and there's nothing, and we don't have the one thing that would give my wife value, and the one thing that I need as a man to, to, to carry my name forward. At some point, you just give up on hope. You give up on God, and you just let hope go. But for whatever reason, and this is the question that I ask of Zechariah and Elizabeth, why did they keep hoping for a child? And I know they kept hoping for one because they kept living a blameless life before God. They kept showing up and performing their temple duties. They kept living a righteous life, hoping somehow that God would come through. But why not just call it quits? And I'm, I'm willing to bet, if you're honest, that there's somebody here, maybe somebody who's even watching online, who has felt that before. God's not showing up. He's not listening. He hasn't answered, and I'm losing hope. What is it in Zechariah and Elizabeth to help them maintain their hope? We'll get to that, but we have to know the end of the story first. Verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. 
And he was chosen by lot, which is basically casting dice. They believed God was in the, <laughs> the casting of dice, according to the custom of priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. Incense. This is like the highest honor for a priest, to go into the temple and to offer this sacrifice. This is the highest honor. So Zechariah, verse 10, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. This is a big deal for the whole community. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, and listen closely to what he says to Zechariah. Do not be afraid. Now this part here, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Important for us. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you were to call him John. I think sometimes the reason we lose hope as people is because we're pretty sure God doesn't hear us. Don't miss what, what the angel says to him. Zechariah, God has heard every one of your prayers. I know that the, the word prayer there is the singular word prayer, but don't get caught up on that. It's not just one prayer. Zech, the angel's not saying, Zechariah, he heard one of your prayers that you've prayed over the last 20 years. No, he heard every one of them. The reason it's singular is because Zechariah has just prayed the same prayer over and over and over and over again. And what the angel says is, God has heard every single one of those prayers just because God doesn't answer your prayer when you pray it does not mean he doesn't hear it when you pray it. Don't miss that. And maybe that's not very comforting for some of you because what you would say is, yeah, but I need an answer. <laughs> I don't need to be heard. <laughs> what I need is an answer. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you were to call him John. Now, the, I'm just going to skip the next couple of verses, but here's the brief little detail. Zechariah looks at the angel and says, uh, I, This is our first time meeting. I'm old. <laughs> and I don't know if you've met my wife yet. She's well along in years, is how he says it. Smart. She's well along in years. She's past childbearing age. I don't know how you think this is going to work. And in verse 19, the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, right? He's showing off. Like, I'm, I'm the guy. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good, this good news. And now you will be silent, and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words. But then he says, which will come true at their appointed time. Sometimes God doesn't answer when we want, but he hears when we pray. And God answers when it's best. At the appointed time. God knew this was going to happen all along. In their 20s, they prayed it didn't happen. In their 30s, they prayed it didn't happen. In their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, they prayed, and nothing happened. But all along, God knew that there was an appointed time somewhere way over here that it would happen. He heard them all along. And then in verse 23, so Zechariah goes home. Verse 23, it says, When 
his time of service was completed. So priests would kind of serve in a rotation in the temple. When his rotation was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. In verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. And I love this next line. And this goes back to that, what I kind of shared at the beginning there, just how important this was for a family back then. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor and he's taken away my disgrace among the people. But how in the world did they hold on to hope for so long? (laughs) 80 plus years. At some point it had to start feeling like hope against hope. At some point it had to start feeling like this is never going to happen. And we lose hope. And when we lose hope, that's that dark side. Depression, anxiety, fear, yet somehow they maintained hope all the way through. And this is what I want us to hear this morning, and I think, I think Zechariah knew this, and I've experienced this in my own life. And this is the thing that I think we forget. We know how important hope is. We get it. Yep, got to have hope. Helps me live. Helps me move forward. Helps me take one step, you know, put one foot in front of the other when I don't want to during the tough seasons of life. But, but, We forget this, and I think this is what Zechariah knew. Number one, hope always has a source. You don't hope in in just a vacuum. Your hope is always, always attached to something. If you hope that your marriage will improve, you're putting hope. The source of that hope is in your husband, it's in your wife, or it's in the marriage counselor. There's always a source for that hope. If you hope that you're going to beat the diagnosis, the source of your hope is in the doctor, it's in the medical team, it's in the medicine that they're going to put you on. Hope always has a source. If you hope to build a successful business, your hope is in your marketing plan, your business plan, the economy, your customers. Hope always has a source. For the last four years, half of the country, this is not a political statement, by the way, please don't read that as this. For the last four years, half of the country has put their hope in a particular president, in the current president of the United States. That's why they voted for him, and they put their hope in him, believing that he would fix whatever they thought needed fixing. But isn't it interesting now that there appears to be a new president-elect, that that segment of the country, their hope is waning, isn't it? But the other half of the country who now have hope because their particular candidate is the president-elect and will probably move into office. Their hope is rising. They're coming out of that other side of hope. But that illustrates something that is so powerful that whenever you put your hope in another human, in an institution here on earth, in the economy, in the government, your hope will always go like this. And that's the other thing that I think Zechariah understood. Hope has a source, but who you put your hope in is more important than what it is you actually are hoping for. Catch that? Who you put your hope in is actually more important than what you hope for. And please don't hear me diminish what it is you're hoping for, because that's not what I'm saying. Parents who hope to have a child someday, but they can't, I'm not trying to diminish that. There it is, that hope for restoration. I'm not trying to diminish that. You, you hope to be healed from whatever 
you know, diagnosis here. I'm not trying to diminish that by saying what you hope for isn't important, but who, the source of your hope. And this is what I think drove Zechariah and Elizabeth. They understood that hope always has a source. It's always connected to someone or something. And who you put your hope in matters more than what you hope for. And they put their hope in at that time to them, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They put their hope in the God who led the Israelites out of captivity after 400 years of being slaves to the Egyptians, who led them through the Red Sea, who provided manna for them, who burst water out of a rock. They put hope in that God, and that even though they prayed, and 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 nothing happened, and nothing happened, and nothing happened, they knew who they were praying to every time they prayed, and that hope propelled them forward to the moment that God showed up at the appointed time. And I get it. Some of you would say, yeah, but I've been hoping (laughs) for a long time. And he hasn't answered. And I've been praying and he hasn't answered. And he hasn't come through. And it feels as if he's gone silent. But here, this is just my little personal lesson and then I'll wrap it up. We don't put hope in a God who answers our prayers exactly as we wish. We put hope in a God who loves us exactly as we are, right? We put hope in a God who may not show up when we want, but rather when we need. And we put hope in a God who may not rescue us from hardship, but he'll walk through it with us. The source of your hope matters. And as we start this Advent season, as we move into this Christmas time and we begin to prepare our hearts to celebrate um, the arrival of Jesus, can I just ask you, where does your hope lie? Who is it you're putting hope in for whatever, for whatever reason? Marriage, finances, where I don't know, for whatever reason. And it's not wrong to hope in a president. It's not wrong to hope that at some level we ought to be able to put hope into our leaders, hope into the people that we follow. It's not wrong to put hope into those things. But at the end of the day, faith, hope, and love remain. And the truest, longest lasting, surest form of hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So where does your hope lie? What is the source? So I'm just going to pray for us, and I think, I think the, the worship team is going to come up and kind of lead us out, but I want to pray for us. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you're at. I know just y'all, as, as a church, you're facing this transition. You're facing uh, maybe a difficult season, but I'm telling you, there's hope because God loves your church more than you do. It's his. But maybe you're at a place right now where your marriage is struggling, where your finances are struggling. Maybe you're at a place where you did receive a diagnosis or you have been unemployed because of COVID or for whatever reason, and you're just struggling to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. And I want to pray, and maybe you have put your hope in all kinds of places, but I want to pray that today here as we start Advent, 
you would recenter your hope in your heavenly Father who loves you. So Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful and grateful um, for the chance just to gather together, albeit in kind of a weird season, but God, we're here. We're gathered together. Your bride, your church, and we're thankful for this opportunity to be here. But Heavenly Father, I just pray that as we move through the Advent season, as the Porch Church specifically moves through this transition, that you would fill all of us with such a sense of hope. Not necessarily a hope that you're going to answer our prayer exactly as we have prayed it, or you're going to give us exactly what it is we want, but God, a hope that you are with us. That's what Christmas is anyways. Emmanuel, God with us. Instill in us a sense of hope that you are with us. Instill in us a sense of hopefulness that you will walk with us. It's still in us a sense of hope that you know what is best for us and that you will sustain us through whatever season we find ourselves in. God, may we as a people put our hope in you. So we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we could share together. Thank you, God, for sending hope in the form of your Son, Jesus Christ. Pray for all these things and ask for these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.